some familiar faces and some new faces and some faces that have gotten grayer, I guess. I don't know how it's... <laughs> well, just good to be back. Uh, really appreciate this opportunity to be with you all. And um, we know, Sherry and I know, that the time that we spent um, in Kuala Lumpur, especially in Malaysia, we, we couldn't have done it without your support, your encouragement, your prayers. Um, it just it, it helped us be effective. We, we, couldn't have, we couldn't have stayed as long as we did without your, your friendship and your help. So thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Um, and what you continue to do, uh, hopefully we'll continue to pray for what the work that's going on there in Kuala Lumpur. We still have a team that is just now uh, starting to get back into the country because of the, the borders being closed before, but now with COVID starting to ease up a little bit, things are starting to open up, and some of our team now are, are starting to come back into Malaysia. I want to talk a little bit about what you supported while Sherry and I were there. So, so I'm going to put up the, the next screen is the, our main focus, areas of focus where uh, Home of Peace, uh, be the, there you go, Home of Peace and Ebenezer Bible College and support and encourage our IMB or International Mission Board personnel there. Encourage the Malaysian Christian church leaders that were there working in Kuala Lumpur and then engage locals as God had opportunity. These were our, sort of our areas of focus while we were there. I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of these. And the first of those was Home of Peace, where Sherry spent most of her time. And of course, when you sent the team over, when they did the Vacation Bible School, this is where they ministered. It's a girl's home for girls of families that are very underprivileged, and um, because of that, they're, you know, who knows what would have happened to these young girls, but they actually live in the home, and Justine is the director, and she, she cares for them, and they all live together as like one big family. Um, your support helped Sherry do the teaching there, specifically to the younger kids. You see the girls in the upper right-hand corner? Um, those girls learned to read while Sherry was there. I mean, they went from non-readers to readers. And you bought the books. You paid for the books. You paid for a lot of the teaching resources. You paid for... Uh, whiteboards and things that were needed in the room. You paid for rent so we could clean out a space so Sherry could do some teaching and a little, you know, kind of a nook there on, the, on one of the floors. And so you did that. You, you encouraged that. And, and because of you, um, those girls um, have support. And, if you, and that school is still there. So if any of you have a desire to can get involved in any of the work or support some of the work that's going on there, you can talk to me or Sherry after, and we, we can show you how, tell you how to do that. The second area of focus was Ebenezer Bible College. Ebenezer Bible College was a college that was mostly focused on um, Myanmar refugees. <clears throat> so these kids, I call them, because they're so young, they were there um, because most of them faced persecution in their own country or um, violence in their own country from their own armies and, and different other factions and ethnic groups and stuff. So they were there in Malaysia under UNHCR, which is a, a UN status for those who come from uh, troubled areas. And so they were legally in Malaysia, but but Really, they couldn't do anything. So they were very underprivileged, and 
you know, couldn't afford to go to, to regular school, and so the school was set up so that they could get some education. We dealt mostly with pastors and church leaders, and so they were influences in their community, and we, we um, uh, taught Bible, we taught leadership classes, we, we taught English, and you bought the resources for all that. You paid for the books. Um, some of these pastors hadn't even started a, a library yet. And so your, your donations and, and help from this church helped them start their own like personal libraries so they could be more effective in their pastoring. So Ebenezer Bible College, I really miss these kids. They were, they were the best. They, they really kept us going. And, and Libby got to meet them, uh, some of them, and, and when they were there, John Curiel got to meet some of them when, when, you, when the team came over. And they're just a good group of kids. And you should hear their testimonies and how... They sacrificed even just to get to Malaysia. Um, another area of focus was uh, to encourage Malaysian Christian church leaders, and of which you know they're plugging away. This is a Muslim country, and these guys are plugging away, doing what they can. But it's mostly the Chinese church that is the the major Christian church there in Kuala Lumpur, and that's that's legal. It's okay. You just can't <laughs> convert Muslims, which is the majority of people there in Malaysia. And so uh, they're, they're plugging away. But like a lot of churches, when COVID hit, they had to rethink how you do church. And so they're still struggling with that, just as I think we're, in some ways, many churches are still doing here in America. So, you know, we, as, op, as God gave opportunity, we got to, to come alongside and encourage and minister and usually over food. And, you know, <laughs> we, that was, you know, we, and, you know, you share. And you do things, and you, we share what we do here, so that could help them there. The, the people in the, um, this is the IMB personnel. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about in, uh, the next slide. <clears throat> there we go. Thank you. So the people in the middle, um, they're on the right side. Is, um, they're in East Malaysia. So they're in an island all by themselves on the island of Borneo, and they're, they minister to the longhouse people, indigenous people, way out in the jungle. And so they're a special group. We got the, our church did a mission, our church over there, did a mission to there, and we got to go out and preach the gospel to the, in those longhouses, and that was quite an experience. Got to see giant beetles and everything right in the bathroom and all that stuff. <laughs> They use water. Well, I maybe I shouldn't get into that. <laughs> but anyway, in the water there were fish. That was so kind of fascinating. So right, and you're doing your business, you can watch the fish swimming around. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, where was I? <laughs> so this couple, <clears throat> they have quite the challenge because the Malaysian government, which is Muslim, they tempt these tribes people with all these incentives to become Muslim. So we'll give you paved highways, we'll help fix up your houses, we'll build you know, schools or whatever. All you got to do is the village is become Muslim. And once you become Muslim there in Malaysia, there's no going back. You can't just say, oops, I decided to change, you know, and you, you, there's no going back. And so, so these, this couple is out ministering in those um, longhouses and sharing the gospel with them and so, so that they won't fall to the temptation of that. And then finally, um, 
we were to just engage locals as God gave opportunity. Uh, you know, I put the grab cars there because anytime you got in a grab car, you didn't know it was a divine appointment God had set up. So it was, it was, it was, it was sometimes they were interesting, sometimes they were not. But, um, but the rest of the pictures are interesting. When I did this, you know, I was thinking that was one of the, uh, the, the things that we had to do is just engage people as we had opportunity. But when I pulled the pictures together, I didn't, hadn't realized that most of the people God gave us opportunity to, to, to minister to there in Malaysia were people who were foreigners like us who were there in Malaysia. So you'll see in these pictures some that were persecuted for their faith in their Arabic countries and were there in Malaysia. Um, this one gentleman is uh, upper left-hand corner. Is, uh, we, we met once a week as like sort of a mentoring uh, sort of meeting, and uh, he was a pastor there in, in, in his church. And, and so there was all these opportunities that, that God gave along the way. And, and your support and your encouragement helped that happen. So thank you again. We, we know that we couldn't have lasted as long as we did without your support and encouragement. And, and we wouldn't have been as effective. Um, so thank you again. I really appreciate you guys. Okay. In a few days, it's going to be Thanksgiving. And that means some 50 million turkeys are going to be consumed. <laughs> joyfully, or as Pastor Jonathan said last week, you know, with, with much joy because God gave us taste buds to enjoy those turkeys with, except for two. Now, two turkeys last Friday were pardoned, got their presidential pardon from President Biden, so they weren't eaten. Those two turkeys came from Jasper, Indiana this year. They come from different places. I don't know who chooses what goes where and who gets to do that? There's always a turkey who gets the pardon and an alternative so they can, you know, they have good pictures and press and that kind of stuff. And um, it is said that the first turkey that was pardoned was um, by President Abraham Lincoln uh, back in 1863, which simply meant in those days that he didn't get eaten. Because you imagine, you know, there was all these gifts that were given to the president and they would get turkeys around Thanksgiving and and I guess they had enough of too many turkeys, and so the, President Lincoln just said, decided, let's not eat this one. And that was the first one, according to, to some stories. Well, it wasn't until um, President Ronald Reagan officially pardoned a turkey because of probably what, all that was going on in the public uh, court scene of that time. So he officially pardoned a turkey. And then later, uh, President H.W. Bush formalized the process, and then it has been done as a sort of formal event by every other president since. So when the turkeys get to Washington, D.C., they, they get the red carpet treatment. They actually get to stay in a hotel, the Intercontinental Hotel, the Willard Intercontinental Hotel. You haven't seen pictures of this? Is this, is this new to you? <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun trivia for Thanksgiving, but we all know that the main thing about Thanksgiving is the meal, right? We have the Thanksgiving meal with our friends, with our family, we gather together. And, and I think that's why it's loved by so many of us, not just because we love to eat, but because it's a holiday that it seems it can't be corrupted by a focus on other things. I mean, every other holiday, right? You got now the world telling us you have all these other focuses. It was that one holiday that it has kept its focus on 
on being thankful and getting together. The official stated reason for this holiday is simple. To celebrate the harvest and the other blessings of this past year. And that's what ties it back to the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick, it's, uh, we're actually looking only at three verses, 16 through 18. And in this final section of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, we're given um, important instructions that concludes with our um, focal verses, if you will. And then within these three verses, we have the, the clearest, most simple expression of what God desires for our life. I mean, if you've ever wondered, what was God's will for my life? Here's your answer. In the most clear, concise way. There, there, in these three verses, there are three verbs, and these verbs are in the imperative mode in the original language, which simply means that they are given as commands. So there are, we are commanded then to do these three things. And the verbs are rejoice, pray, and give thanks. And they're followed by the statement, for this is the will of God concerning you. These three things are commanded to us to do because we won't do them automatically. We have to be intentional about them. We have to choose to do them. And since they are commands, when we fail to do them, when we do the opposite, then we're sinning. We're disobedient. We're not following along with what God's desire is for us to be and do. They are commanded Because like all of God's commands, they guard us against evil and the things that would hurt and harm us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The first of these commands is rejoice always. The word rejoice is from the word chiro, which refers to joy. And joy, we know, is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is different from happiness because our happiness is determined by, by things that happen to us or in us, right? But biblical joy is not determined by, by one's circumstances, what happens to us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy happens because we are in harmony with God. We are walking in step and step with God, and we trust his sovereignty for whatever is going on in our life. This means that no matter how bad things may be in our life, we can still have joy because we trust God for the outcome. This means that, 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 that even when the worst day happens, inside, because we are in harmony with God and trust what, what's going to happen and how he's going to work it out, even if we don't like it, we can still let joy bubble up inside of us because it comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Our joy or wellness of soul is another way to look at it. cannot be dampened by adverse situations because we are one with God. So we always can rejoice. The second command is to pray continually. As Christians, we have many duties and responsibilities fulfilled, so so this is not a command to speak nonstop prayers as if by our constant 
verbalizing of some prayer were, were more godly. The command refers to an attitude of prayer and reverence as we go through this life, knowing that we are in the very presence of God. So as we work and play and interact with people, we do so in the very real presence of God with us, who we are constantly throwing up, if you will, from our minds and our heart, um, requests and intercession and praise for what he is doing in and through us and his work around us. Now, think about this. Rejoicing and praying in these verses deal with our time. And that's why we are told to do them always and continually. The next command deals with our circumstances or our situation. And this is where I want to focus the rest of this sermon on. And that is give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us this day in light of this week, especially as we are coming up on Thanksgiving. May we be thankful people, not just this week, but may we be known for our thankfulness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's some truths concerning Thanksgiving. First, grumbling is the opposite of Thanksgiving. Back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were no more than a a multitude of oppressed slaves and shepherds, and then God rescues them. You know the story. So he leads them out in the desert. They're up against the Red Sea. They look back, and they see the Egyptian army riding down upon them, and and they're freaking out, and they're calling out to God, and Moses is freaking out, and he cries out to God, and God answers by putting a cloud between the Israelites and the Egyptian army so they can't see him or find him or anything. Then he opens up the Red Sea and he tells them go through and they march through and and after they all get through then God lifts the cloud the Egyptian army rides down into the sea and of course the sea comes back and they're all destroyed and the Israelites are saved they're a nation they're they're God's people set out separated apart for God and they're as you can imagine singing and rejoicing and thanking God for all that he's done Until you read a few chapters later, and what are they doing? They're grumbling and complaining because we're hungry. And they say stuff like, would that we had died in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the meat and all that. And here we are in the desert. Why'd you bring us out here? And then God provides a heavenly, miraculous food. So all they got to do is go out and gather it off the ground. Every day there's food. By a miracle. What do they do? (laughs) They complain. They get critical. They're negative. And and they grumble. And, And during one of those grumbling sessions, Moses says something very insightful that we need to hear. Moses asks this. Why do you test the Lord? You see, our grumbling and our complaining and our negativity and all that kind of stuff simply means we don't trust what God is doing. We don't like it. And we don't like what we think will be the outcome. We have no confidence in God's plan. And because we don't, we grumble. We complain. And that's just the opposite of thanksgiving. And since we don't like what will happen... Every time we do complain, 
The Bible says, or Moses asks, why do you test the Lord? When we grumble, we reveal that is really in our hearts. And it's not thankfulness. It's not thankfulness for all that he's done already for us. And so we test the Lord. The second point is thankfulness is appreciating all that God has done for us. Luke chapter 17, there are ten lepers that they see Jesus coming along and they beg to be healed. And Jesus commands them to go show themselves to the priest. And so all, they, they take off, they go show themselves to the priest. And, and, and as they're going, the Bible says, they're healed, cleansed from their leprosy. And then one who is identified as a Samaritan, which would have been in that day someone who was looked down upon or inferior, he, he, he turns around and heads back to Jesus, falls at Jesus' feet, and gives him thanks. And then Jesus says, we're not ten clans. Where are the other nine? We take so much that God does for us for granted. We forget or fail to acknowledge that he is the source of everything that comes into our life. Every good and perfect gift that comes into our life. There are two sins that keep us from recognizing what, in thankfulness, all that God does for us. And I, the first one that I've jotted down is, is, is a feeling of entitlement. I, and I'm speaking to myself this one too. I mean, it's, it's in our sinfulness, sinfulness and selfishness. We, we think we deserve certain things. I see this when, when I get comfortable too long. We, we start thinking that we always should be comfortable. And, and this kind of thinking is so dangerous because it reveals pride where there should be humility. Jesus, who was the only one who was truly entitled emptied himself, the Bible says, of these privileges and became a servant. And when tempted by the devil, the devil said, turn these stones to bread. I mean, why are you hungry? Of course, Jesus is entitled to do that, but he refused. Entitlement keeps us from appreciating all that God does for us. Because we assume we should have certain things. So we, we fail to see them as everything in our life is gracious gifts from our Heavenly Father. So, some of you know that we just spent the last couple of months in, uh, in Spain walking the Camino de Santiago. And every day at the beginning of the trip, well, every day all through the trip, Sherry would say, okay, how's your thankfulness today? <laughs> Name three things you're thankful for. And so at the beginning of the trip, what I was really thankful for, it was, was pretty basic. I was thankful that I can drink the water right out of the tap. Because that, that hadn't always been true in some places in Malaysia and other parts of the world I've been in. And I have felt the after effect of not <laughs> water that, that didn't go through my system too well. And I, and I was scared. I mean, you're out there on the trail hiking away and you're thinking, well, I don't want that, right? And so I was so thankful that I could just fill up the water bottle, you know, drink the water, stick it in the pack, head on down the road. That was, that was such, a, such, a, such a thing to be grateful for. But now that I'm back home, you know, I mean, good old America, turn on the tap, what do you expect? 
<laughs> good clean water, right? Start taking it for granted. You get grumpy when it's not clean. I mean, well, look at this. There's something wrong with my water. It smells different. You know, remembering that most of the world deals with that every day. We, it's so dangerous to start taking things for granted. We need to be thankful for every gracious gift that God allows us, especially in this nation. The other things that get in the way of acknowledging God's gracious gifts is to be so focused on the blessing that we forget the one who gave the blessing. And that's a failure of the other nine lepers, isn't it? I mean, in obedience, you know, they head for the priests, and all of a sudden they look at each other, we're healed. I mean, how would you feel? Of course they were dancing and singing, congratulating one another, and just, just as thankful as they could be, but they were focused on the fact that they were healed. They were focused on the blessing, and they forgot to go back and acknowledge the one who gave the blessing. We can't be so overjoyed with the blessing or the answer prayer or the gift of God's grace that we forget it was God who graciously gave those things into our life. In the model prayer, Matthew chapter 6, we are told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> Most of us have more bread and other kinds of food than we know what to do with, right? right? So, so in many ways, that prayer is irrelevant but it's not. We should pray it every day so that we remember that God is the one who has graciously given us that abundance. Third, we are thankful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. How would you feel if you got a message that all your money was gone in an instant, taken, stolen, whatever? All your resources gone. And then as your accountant is telling you that it's all gone, a messenger breaks in and tells you that your kids have all died. And just when you think that you can't get any worse than that, you, look, you break down and all these boils and your health is gone. And that's exactly what happened to Job. In an instant, he goes from being one of the most honored men in that community to poverty and grief and abandonment. And Job's wife, who's obviously distraught over the loss of her children, she, she, she goes to Job and tells him, can't, you know, she can't stand seeing her husband in this horrible condition. And she, she just blurts out, why don't you just curse God and die? Have you ever been so mad at the injustice or the unfair things that happened that you just wanted to curse I think that's what Job's wife is going through. Just curse God and die. But Job responds, naked I came from my mother's room, naked I'm going to return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In response to the bad things, that were happening in Job's life. He wasn't thankful for those things. But he still trusted God in those things. He tells his wife, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive bad? 
Not everything is a blessing. In this world, we're going to come into contact with evil. The world is still dark. We're going to see bad things. We're going to experience bad things. And when we do, we're not thankful for those things. But we're still thankful in the midst of those circumstances because we know that God still walks through with us. Amen? He's still there. And even if we don't like the way things are headed, the way he has chosen or allowed to happen for his will, for the, for the sake of his sovereignty in the world that is progressing forward, and I don't understand, I, maybe I'm not thankful for those things, but I'm still thankful in those things that God knows my name. I can trust God. We can agree with God that he works all things out for the good for those who are surrendered to his purpose. Then then we know that we can can be thankful in the midst of everything because we know that the verse says, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We believe that. You know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Most of you do. She was paralyzed from the chest down one month after she graduated high school. So all her adult life, and I think she's around my age or something, all her adult life, she's been dependent on somebody else for everything, to eat, to go to bed, to change her clothes, everything, paralyzed. She used to go to healing services when she was younger, right after she, the accident. Of course, wasn't healed. So she writes, I learned that the core of Christ's plan is to rescue us from sin. Our physical aches and pains and broken relationships aren't his ultimate focus. He cares deeply about those things, but they're, they're symptoms of the chief problem in this fallen world. God's goal is not to make us comfortable. He wants to teach us to hate our transgressions as he grows our love for him. During that period, she found herself reading Luke chapter 5. And she came across a story where the paralyzed man was lowered down through the roof by his friends, remember? She began to see that the big issue in the passage was not that Jesus caused the paralyzed man to walk, but that he forgave his sins. And so she writes, Jesus could heal the paralyzed man because, and only because he had the authority as the Son of God to forgive sin. It was the point he wanted to make with the Pharisees. For him, healing withered legs would take no more effort than setting stars and moons in motion. For Jesus, it was all merely finger work. But when it comes to forgiving sin... It was no easy effort for our Savior. Our redemption required blood and the strong arm of salvation. Have you ever had a chance to hear her sing, It is well with my soul? It is very moving. I mean, you know the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, What's the next line? Say it. It is well. It is well. 
with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. That's the key issue, isn't it? And when we focus there, we have much to be thankful for. We're not thankful for all that happens in our lives, but because we do trust God, we are thankful in all those situations. The final truth, this is not just good advice. Thanksgiving is an important part of God's will for you and for me. So what will you choose to do? It is a decision we must make often. God commands. We decide to obey. What are we known for? What are we known for? As I mean, the people that know you best, who live with you, who are your neighbors. I mean, are you known for being critical, negative, always pointing out fault, complaining, arguing? Or are you known for being thankful? Because this is God's will, his desire for our life. It's our choice. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies your life with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. We have much to be thankful for. Heavenly Father, I pray that that at this day and this time, if we forgot that your desire for our life is to be thankful, and we began to focus on so many other things that it has driven us away from seeing or understanding or knowing all the things that you have done for us and we've forgotten to be thankful. Lord, forgive us. Help us choose in this moment to recognize that we have much to be thankful for and to lift up our thanksgiving to you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I understand that you at this time during the invitation that the the deacons will come down is that and then if you need prayer if you just you need prayer to be especially to be thankful now's the time